to Pop-Up Submissions Live. We've got an exciting new guest here today. Someone who's built thousands of miles of fencing all around the world and who's also won the Edinburgh International Book Festival First Book Award. Yes, please welcome the one and only Catherine Evans. Yeah, not just Catherine, but also distinguished award-winning journalist Matt Schofield, whose name, when anagrammed, means shit-faced meth <laughs> Which just goes to show you can't always go by anagrams. I did. I did it very slightly because it's actually Matthew Schofield I anagram, but it's still, it's still interesting, isn't it? Oh dear, oh dear. Oh, it's going to be like that today. Here we are. Our submission number one. This is from Tim. Hello, Tim. I hope you're around. If you are, just uh, excuse the uh, the merriment. It's entirely Matt's fault for having a name like that. Um, <laughs> and this is drama. It's called The Drama Merchant. And this is Tim's blurb. After a successful mission, SAS soldiers identifies identities are leaked and they become headline news. James Thomas is the newest member of the team and his private life is turned upside down when his girlfriend and family discover what it is he really does. This is a lust story. Oh, I like that. But love keeps getting in the way. Hey, Tim. It's rather a good payoff, isn't it? Um, I'm going to tell you about you. My background, says Tim, includes BBC Drama Department and the History Press published my memoir, In Service, The Story of a Welsh Guardsman. Hmm. I've now written eight novels. It's good going. I've also recently written a film script at the request of D.A.L.S. Dahl, my favourite Indian food. Productions. Some time ago now, I had a short story produced by the BBC. It's very good. I'm Welsh and live in Pembrokeshire, West Wales, UK. And we're going to get the show off to an absolutely blistering start with this reading from Emily. The Drama Merchant by Tim. Read by Emily. One. OK, guys, I hear the sergeant bark. Time to shift your butts. We exit the helicopter at the drop zone and form a defensive circle as the chopper hovers back into the night sky in a whirlwind of noise. This is it. This is happening. Twenty-one years old and part of a top-secret mission. The thought strikes and my cheeks spread in a wide grin. It's a grin twitching on nervousness, a nervousness that caused the corners of my eyes to clench and my heartbeat to pound loudly in my ears. I exhale noisily and widen my eyes to stretch out my face. This is why I'd trained so hard to be part of this elite unit. This is why I want to be the very best soldier I can possibly be. This is the real thing. But this is so intense. I breathe in through the nose and exhale slowly through the mouth to steady myself. The pungent aromas of the desert air spiced the intensity. Bayong in northwest Africa had been scorching hot that day. We'd rehearsed the hostage rescue many times in daylight and breathing in the air baked by the midday sun had roasted my lungs. Now it is night, and the blast furnace heat had long since submitted to the chilled glow of moonlight, and I look up to the moon and feel grateful for a glimpse of the familiar face. And the moon is big tonight, and my thoughts immediately turn to Gemma. She could be looking at the same moon, all those many miles away in Wales, but she is likely to be snuggled up in bed, which leaves me wondering 
what she wears in bed, if anything. And I silently laughed at myself because I can't imagine Gemma ever slept naked. The moment the thought surfaces, I find I can too easily imagine precisely that. I must have been smiling inanely because Dan, the man, Coulson, who's the nearest guy to me, whispers, What's tweaking your pecker, James? I switch the smile off and force myself to focus. Adrenaline is in full flood through my veins and my thoughts had cartwheels to a naked image of Gemma. Crazy. I breathe in deeply. Focus. This is it, I mentally repeat. This is for real. This is life and death stuff. I compress my lips to smother another smile. I'm surprised I feel such a strong buzz of excitement. I've been afraid of being afraid, but the excitement drowns out any fear. I also know Gemma won't approve of this mission, but, then again, she wouldn't approve of the use of military force full stop. Turn the other cheek, she'd say. I huff away my indignation at her pacifist view. It's not a problem because Gemma will never know. I forced myself to breathe deeply again, in through the nose and out through the mouth, slowly. I'm ready. I've been well trained for this. I cradle my rifle and stroke a reassuring hand over the cold surface. I look along the line of camouflage creamed faces as the rest of the squad position themselves to the right of me, and then we move forward as silently as the wisps of smoke through the scattering of small, low acacia trees, and then stop again when we reach the edge of an area where the scrub of trees and thornbush is denser. We listen and scan the moonlight shadows. Lieutenant Quentin Sanderson, whom we all call Tintin, issues a hand signal that is as clear as a shouted order, and we advance again as one. We all smell the camel-shit cigarette smoke, and out of the corner of my eye I see Tintin give the clenched fist signal, which means freeze. As one we kneel, our eyes and ears pricked, each of us scanning for a smoking sentry's position. It's easy to spot the glowing ember of a cigarette as a sentry inhales. He stood beside a tree and clearly not taking his guard duty seriously. A hand signal from Tintin sends Sergeant Rob Reynolds forward. I lose sight of him as he disappears around some foliage. The next I see of the sergeant is when his hand takes the Islamic terrorist's head back, the palm covering the mouth as the other hand holding a knife with a six-inch blade, one side serrated, arcs high, as he drives the knife deep into the heart. I watch him twist the blade as we'd been taught and the dying man's legs thrash at the ground. Thank you, Emily. Such a pro, such a pro. Um, let me just check in with the genius room and tell you what they're thinking. And they're off to a flying start. Vagabond Heart says, don't know if drama is a book genre. It's not really. I want to talk about that. But sounds good. Eva, uh, who I think, I suspect, isn't the buying demographic this, says, great blurb. Hannah says, title not doing it for me, but blurb is fun. Annie says, very engaging, start confident writing. It is, isn't it? Ali, Ali says, seems to be doing a lot of breathing. Yeah, that's right. Pamela Jo says, that day, I thought we were in the moment. Hannah says, lots of inhaling. Yeah, picking up the breathing there, exhaling and breathing. Uh, Claire says, starting an action, good. Tense situation, but don't tell us it's intense. Show us. Uh, Vagabond says, good writing, but I know it's about SAS soldiers, so this opening feels a bit, mm, maybe not cliched, but expected. And Annie says, I think quite perceptively, always perceptively actually, I have a feeling this is a prologue. Um, Hannah says, is he, is he really going to be imagining naked Gemma during this intense moment? And I have to say, I was wondering that too. And that took me off the, the reading, actually. It's, it pulled me out a little bit. Um, Claire says, stay with the action. Ali G says, action, but slowed by backstory. PJ, there's a lot of breathing and thinking that really 
doesn't disguise the info dump better to just get into it. Um, and Vagabond says, I hate to say it because the writing's good, but the character is not engaging me. I'm a bit bored. Ooh, oh dear, don't like that. Lex says, I'm pretty sure that when Emily narrates the wildlife from Wind of Ireland grows silent to listen. Oh, that's beautiful. Chandler Jules, move the action to beginning. Find Gemma thought too diverting from moments of drama. Hannah says, good writing, don't actually care about this character, so I wouldn't read on. Ooh, all right. And, uh, yeah, Jan says, great writing here. Stick with the action. All right, shall we see what Matt thinks? Yeah, I was impressed. Um, I liked the, the – I thought the writing was extremely professional. I thought there's a good bang to this. Um, the drama merchant doesn't really work for me as a title, but, you know, I don't know what I'd go with instead. And the blurb, I thought, had some very interesting elements. It was a bit clunky and – probably should be polished a bit more um a couple thoughts i had one i've been with troops as yeah. they're getting ready to absolutely invade. and uh, there there is this element of everything going through people's minds you know um so i that it the 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 gemma naked thing actually st struck me as huh. real huh. um i yeah i'll never forget the 19 year old marine who was my driver through a minefield and he jumps up and <laughs> screams curse words, throws um, eye black under his eyes and said, you know, then screams more curse words and says, let's go. And we race off into a minefield at, as fast as a military Jeep will go. Um, but he was talking about um, his work as a butcher huh. with his dad before that. Huh. I mean, seconds before that. So the, these kind of dramatic shifts and changes were, are, 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 they do ring true. Yes. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Gosh. Um, I like the element of talking about the, the ember lighting on. That's a constant I had, you know, exos yell at me a lot because my phone light would come on. I had my satellite phone light would come on and they'd be very angry because I'm letting everyone see what's going on. So that rung true too. That's something that you're very, very concerned on. Um, that said, I'm not sure we're, I, I think it could be a little quicker. Hmm. Um, I, I've heard the, the genius room comments that there's a bit where there's a bit more backstory than we want. Let's get to the action. I can see that, but I was overall, I was impressed. Good, excellent, and you've given it pretty good marks. Uh, Craft, you've given a, a good eighty, actually, an overall uh, a bang eight as well. That's great. Just see what the genius rumor are doing. Uh, Claire says, "I'm a bit confused. Is this a thriller or erotica?" Yeah, and that's. I want to. I want to uh, ask for some clarification about that. Could we're lucky enough to have Tim with us live on YouTube, so maybe we can talk about that a moment with him. In fact, the drama merchant is an affectionate, an affectionate term for a troublemaker. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, like Drama Queen, something like that, okay. Um, Arbonnet says, it's confident writing, but I'm not entirely convinced by it, it's not hooking me. And Lex says, I really did like the line about the main character being distracted, fantasising about his love, lust, interest, which is just what Matt was saying, it's real. A very human thing to do, even especially in a life or death situation. And Arbonnet says, I'd like to see something different for this genre. Turn it on his head. Uh, to hook the reader and um, says, also, can I say the main character doesn't read as 21 to me? Ooh, all right. Well, Catherine, first reactions, please. 
Well, I think a lot of what I was feeling and thinking has already been said. Um, I felt like it was two stories, really well crafted, actually, and where the pace um, changed. I, yeah. I actually enjoyed that from a kind of from a craft point of view, but I'm not sure it worked so well from a story point of view. And you, you can have two stories in a story, but I didn't get a feeling that they were really gelled yeah. together. Um, somebody said, is this erotica or is this a thriller? That's yes. that's kind of sums it up, really. Yes. What kind of a story are, are we being told? Also, the title, I, I kind of agree. I get what you're saying about um, a drama merchant, but if you read it, doesn't get it. Is, is yeah. that really telling us what this story is about? It didn't seem to tie in with the concept or the blurb. I, I like the blurb. I thought it was quite neat yeah, um, and i liked yeah. the, the kind of summed um summed up end of it but yeah. i think yeah the, the title needs to tell us a little bit more of what this story is about but i think there's a lot going for it i love the writing and i thought there could be a really pacey beginning but it needs tightening up a bit and i yes. would maybe cut down the Gemma stuff i mean i have no experience of being an sas soldier so i don't know what it's like okay. being out in the field. Well, we'll, we'll come on to I, would, I would have imagined. Yes. <laughs> I would have imagined you need to be very focused, but maybe that's not how it works when you're when you're out there. Um, I would have thought it wouldn't have been very safe if you're busy imagining your paramour lying naked in bed. But um, I bow to those that know. That's yes. not, um, It's not my well, my field of expertise. Matt's been in the line of fire, and um, he, he knows what he's talking about there. I just want to um, ask a question here. Oh, actually, direct to you, in fact, Tim, because I know, I know you're, you're with us. So, so the thing is, I, I need some comps. Just saying drama as a genre isn't, isn't good enough, and that il alone might be enough for you know people like me to sort of say, mm, I don't know. I, 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 they go, you know, whoever you send this to is going to have to decide who they're going to send it on to and just drama just doesn't you know i mean I, I if you said to me how many publishers do you know who published drama i said none actually because it's not a genre so i think you've, you've really got to uh, refine that a lot and to help you do that and indeed to help me or um other agents or publishers just give me some comps give me some comps tell me where it would sit alongside other books i mean i think this is sort of SAS fiction, but it's got a twist to it as well. So that's interesting. A, a, a twist is always interesting because if it sits in a genre, that's great. That's very reassuring from the publisher's point of view. But if it moves the genre forwards a little bit, that's very interesting too. So what I'm talking about really is just positioning a little bit better. Um, let's look at the numbers, shall we? Has everybody voted? I think everyone has. Catherine's voted. That's brilliant. She's such a pro already. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very insecure because she's completely outclassing me in every way possible. You got a 66, Tim. I hope you're pleased with that. I hope you're pleased with our comments and thoughts and particularly the genius who are always right and never wrong. Um, and um, you can chat away during the show. Um, you know, tell us tell us your thoughts and particularly genre and comps. I'd be very interested. You got a 67. Good heavens above. Someone's <laughs> a little late voting, weren't they? You see, it's all live. It's it's all it's all happening here, right here, right now. I think I think that's a disgusting. Uh, it's a love story. It's a romance. So give me. Okay, that's interesting. A romance, but. Give me a comp. 
clue me in a little bit if you can. It's an ongoing conversation, yeah, but that's that's what we can do. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to speak to Catherine. Welcome, Catherine. You've you've already fitted in like like a, a glove. I want to know all about the the fencing that you've built all all the way around the world. How many miles of fencing have you built? You are a tease. It is not that kind of fencing. It is fencing with swords. Oh, so although I swords. have not, oh. it's fencing with swords. Bad research. Oh, how embarrassing! <laughs> I thought you were sort of palling so around with Trump and Banyan and stuff. You know, building fences to keep America safe from real people. No, apparently not. Oh, oh God! This is, I have this is... done some fencing, but but no, it is like. <laughs> My passion is, is sword fighting. Okay, yes, I'm t so turning into a plonker here today, aren't I? Oh dear. Uh, what Pamela yeah, Joe's rescued the day, she wants to know what kind of swords? Epe. Epe is my sword, okay. although I have been known to, to compete with a sabre, but only for laughs, really, because it's yes. ridiculous. You can't Sorry, do as much damage as a Yes, good. Right. Oh, you can literally chop somebody's hand off. You can do can quite you? a lot of damage with the sabre, but it's, yes, yes. What's the most damage you've ever done? Is that why you wear an apron most of the time? Is it to sort of guard against a blood splash or something? Honestly, I have holes in my arm, um, which impress the children when I'm doing school visits from epi stabs. Yeah. But it's mostly teenage boys who don't like being beaten by a middle-aged woman. That's right. They get very aggressive. So. Yeah. Give them a good thing too. Fantastic. I tell you, tell and you that's what through we have several got. layers of ballistic nylon. Ballistic nylon. Wow. This is this is a very sort of ballistic wow. show today. Um, I tell you what we can do for you to, to make up for all the appallingly wrong research that I've I've been fed to. I'm going to blame somebody else, of course. Um, and it's this. Yes. Look at that. Book dot letopia dot com. Beauty sleep. Now, it's if you type cool. that Isn't in your browser, it's gorgeous. If you type that in your browser, book.letopia.com, you're going to go to that and you're going to be given an opportunity to buy it. I'm going to ask you the question that uh, authors don't like being asked, but I don't know, you're such a pro. I think you can, you can handle it. What's it about, Catherine? Oh, it's about a girl that is put into cryostasis in 1986. She's dying of an incurable disease and she's put, she's frozen. And she's revived a little bit in the future. So she's a pre-tech girl who is brought a around uh, in a post-tech future, in our wow. time now, really. Yeah. So she has to deal with all the things that kids deal with now, Instagram, filters, TikTok. But oh, she's never seen it before. That's a great device. Um, Love it. Love the idea. It's brilliant. What a beautiful Yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Isn't it the most Pretty thing you've ever seen. I'll tell it's you something. Lovely. I have my hair dyed to match this cover. Did you? Oh, that's commitment, isn't it? That's yeah. fantastic. Um, I've got so many other questions. Look, I tell you what, we're going. I'm going to speak to you in two breaks today, actually, because I've got so many questions to ask you, and I won't promise I won't mention fence again because that's highly embarrassing. Um, but um, before we cut to the next submission, I'm just going to remind everybody there is a link. There you go, book.latopia.com. And you can get there. And Catherine was, in fact, did I mention this? Um, yeah, get it right and read this out. The, she won the Edinburgh International Book Festival First Book Award. And that 
was the first time any YA book had ever won that. So that's pretty bloody impressive. I never never read anything like that novel. It's very layered. Ah, it's a bit of a problem, that. Immediately after 700 words, James kills a man and it changes his life. It goes from one drama to the next, but he seeks love. Right, so mm, I'm going to have to think about that. And I want the Genius Room to think about that too. Genius Room, can you think of any, uh, any comps that would be useful in, in pitching that book, please? Here we go, submission number two. This is called, I'm going to say Hyperion. I'm going to say Hyperion, but... I stand to be corrected. It's from Mara. Hello, Mara. Let us know if you're there, please. Upmarket psychological thriller. Very interesting. Hyperion is like a charged atmosphere laden. Let's start that again. Hyperion is like a charged atmosphere laden, gone with the wind. Written in the right tone of Gary Gennetti. Oh, yeah. Oh, what did he do? Vicious, wasn't it? He did Vicious, I think. Instead of the war of independence, it's the pandemic, and the hero is an analytical 21st century woman stuck in a polyamorous arrangement everyone wants to escape from. My debut novel is a pandemic noir. That's, I, you know, so interesting. I'm just wondering how people are going to be dealing with pandemic and lockdown and, uh, in literature. Um, meets domestic thriller. But underneath it all, a satirical take on society as it's been through a recent collective drama. Now that's aroused my interest already. About you, Mara, two directions in my writing history converge in this piece about market fiction. Indie political journalism on one hand, and my widely read essays into alternative lifestyles. My experience permits me to mix glamour, satire, and psychodrama. Hey, Mara, what a heady mixture. I love that glamour, satire, and psychodrama. In my day job, I professionally operate at the confluence of digital marketing, art, and content creation. Again, intriguing, but perhaps not as intriguing <laughs> as this reading from Ali. Hyperion by Mara read by Allison. Illo Tempore, Chapter One. In the sky above the town of Belmont, there lay a flurry of shredded clouds, like layers in a cake, fiery sunset colours up top, then silky pastels morphing into deep grey down below, the uppermost slowly shifting like lazy lovers' arms, creating ephemeral creatures of wonder in a golden glaze, pink arms, hopeful, lustful. Gentle breeze played with their shapes at a steady pace, evolving. One looked like a horse in battle for a split second, until the shape of a warrior queen replaced it with floating togas wrapped around her curves. If you looked again, it was just golden lace, and these shape-shifting sculptures hung quietly in the sky. But as you lowered your gaze, the clouds turned to leaden menace. It was a small, ordered town with precisely drawn streets and quiet houses that seemed dormant and expectant. Something brewing, strange calm over town. As you zoomed into central roads, a house stood out, old building with gently restored historic detail, facade of light blue, turquoise window panes. The whole thing popped out among the rest, like turkey on a Christmas dinner table. Obviously, the neighbouring buildings tried to emulate the style, but like the courage of such colours and their paint faded grey. Less joyous, resigned to be extras in the play. Inside the large wooden frame of the main window on the first floor was a perfectly coiffured pot arrangement of rose geraniums. In the breeze, curtains fluttering. 
The floor squeaked with steps of people walking, winter lights casting warm reflections over a cosy classical interior, the monotonous murmur of television news, offset by voices talking, relaxed to each other. You brought the other cup, darling. You know I like my china. I don't like my tea in your silly mug. Eris Clements, the lady of the house, put the mug back on the coffee table. The mug read, Best Wife, in handwriting font. She was sat in front of the large TV, and as evening set in, she was almost bathed in its light. Right away, said her husband absent-mindedly. He was stuck at a desk at the other end of the large living room, hunched back over his two computers. The light bathed him in blue and emphasised the chummy double chin. He looked anywhere between 30 and 60, but he was mid-40s and rather chubby. Actually, dear why don't you go? I'm working on this thing, you're, uh... And he gestured vaguely in her direction. Mug, can wait. Eris, a lithe, elegant woman of much younger age, was left a bit tense by the response. She took a deep breath and decided to once more brush over this slight lack of courtesy. These benign marital acts of indifference had long become normal at a price you learn to live with. Lithe, delicately defined bone structure, carefully dressed in a tailored camel suit and red tie, Eris Clemens was a woman like a boxing fist in a velvet glove. Her black eyes a laser following objectives round the room, pinning things down with feline precision. Features deceptive in their feminine sweetness, sharp cheekbones and rather severe pout gave you a hint of the character within. In her wavy hair, her hand gestures, you could just about glint a suppressed sensuality. Very comfortable in her skin, but restless. She was trying to enjoy evening tea with her husband before leaving to town for a double event, her book launch and his evening sermon. He wasn't fond of decadent rituals, like tea as he called them. He preferred decadent things like Coca-Cola and cheeseburgers, preference otherwise apparent in his convex midsection and heavy breath every time he stood from his desk, which wasn't very often. She stood up to go to the kitchen and fetch her pretty porcelain teaware when the loud bell of the corridor landline rang. It almost never rang. Everyone had her mobile number. So in thin heels, she strutted to the phone. She picked up. She listened. Hello? Ms. Clemens? Is this Ms. Clemens? Eros? Yes, it's her. Her deep voice thundered, It's Eris, not Eros. And she picked the TV remote to quiet the news while she struggled to hear the grating person on the other end of the landline. Okay, and we had to, rather early our narrator had to decide when to cut it off there, which is a bit of a shame, actually, because I'm, I, I'd like the, the author to have more control over when the narration actually stops. Um, right, straight into the genius room. Chantal Jewel says, Hi, Pyrion. Very, very, very big space. I didn't know that, actually. Um, and we're in it. Pulled from the web. Title doesn't fit with the blurb. Oh, okay. Um, Hannah says, This isn't a blurb. I've no real hint of the story. Vagabond says, Really? How hard is it to walk away from a relationship these days? Well, it might be. There might be reasons. Claire says, Hmm. Satirising the pandemic and calling it a drama sounds a bit off. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. And Johnny says, what's an upmarket thriller? Actually, Barbara says, what's an upmarket thriller? And Johnny says, only sold in Herod's. Very nice. Um, Eva, not keen on the title, shows up my ignorance. Well, I don't know if title makes... It's a little, just a tiny mite pretentious, I think, the title, actually. Um... 
Overwritten opening, says Claire. Hannah says, that market is a term people use when they mean something heading towards literary. I think it is literary, actually. No bad thing for that. Pamela J says, flurry and cake layers down. Really give us a good mental image for first sentence. I think so. I just put the book down and picked up another. I don't know what why you did that, if you like the mental image first sentence. Opening is pretty wordy, says Lex, but still beginning talking about the weather. Up there with character wakes up from a dream for cliches not to open your book with. Okay. Depends how it's done, though, doesn't it? Leaden menace is lovely, says Martin. Um, Vagabond says, title is tricky. Blurb is a pitch, not a blurb. Yeah, it's not a blurb. Uh, opening's clouds. I'm put off by all this. Far too soon to give it a proper chance. Rethink the opening. I'm not getting thrillers, says Claire, and Johnny says he'll not thank you for, for that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Uh, too descriptive, not the right note for psych thriller, says Claire. Hannah says, this author can use words very well. And I'm picking that up as well. Um, you'll see that reflected in my marks, actually. Um, but this reads as writing for the sake of writing and not for the sake of story. Mm, interesting reaction. Is it me, says Vagabond, or does this feel dated to others? Martin says, I like the nuanced psychological detail and description of setting. But it's very old school telling. Oh, no, that's what Lex says. Oh, gosh. So many comments here. I think we should go straight to um, Catherine, who's come straight out of the berry fields, actually, haven't you? I have. Yeah. I actually have. I've still it. got my apron on. It's lovely. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we multitask right. us writers, don't we? We do. We have to. So, first reactions. Well, actually, I, I've had quite a visceral reaction to this which is unexpected. I love the title, but I don't think it's the title for this book. It doesn't mm. feel like it. I love it because I love a bit of sci-fi, so I was expecting something along those lines. Mm. The writing is delicious. It's, it's delicious, good, it? but there's yeah. too much. It's good, but there's too much of it. Okay. It's like cake when you've had too much cake. It just oh, yes. needs cutting back. I felt swamped a little bit by it. You felt a little liberal. And some of the punk... I felt a little, a little yes, like I'd yes. eaten too much cake. Yes. Um, and the punct sometimes the punctuation and language, I, I haven't written down specific points, but it just feels like it needs cleaning up. For example, the, the business with the not in the silly mug, dear, I want the China cup. And, and the gentleman who's delivered the tea is already engrossed in something at a computer when he's just delivered a cup of tea. It just, it just pulled me out of what is actually... You know, sometimes you read something and you cannot put your finger on why it works, but there's yeah. this weird tension yeah. underlying. It reminded me of Dylan Thomas. Like yeah. that, that, that menace is underlying yeah. what's going on. And Absolutely. I didn't want it to stop, which really surprised me. I was like, uh, uh, don't stop there. I want to, I want to know yeah. where this is going. I hope it does go somewhere because the most disappointing thing is if it, is if it doesn't. But I yeah. felt like it was going somewhere so, okay, so actually, let me just I ask you I'm sorry, to, sorry to interrupt but let me just ask you so if if it reminded you of dylan thomas which is a terrific quote actually mar you got a nice quote endorsement already why did you say it was a bit much and it was a bit over egged and it was, made you a bit bilious because dylan thomas isn't over egged and a bit bilious although he um is uh very um i can't think of the word a brilliant in his language. His yeah. language is is very poetic. It, yeah. it it's not. It's too grounded, much. isn't it? It's, it's not too much. Yeah. It's grounded. Yeah. Is exactly right. It's the blurb actually really sums this up. I think because 
the blurb, the back end of the blurb, I cannot remember all of it now, but right at the beginning, all that comp stuff just didn't work for me. I just was, I had no clue yeah. what that meant. Yeah. Gone with the wind. But the second part of that blurb, I began to get a sense of it. So it almost Mm. feels like it's trying a little bit too hard to be something when actually I think this writer has got a lot of talent and should have a little bit more confidence that they don't have to do quite so much to make it work. Yes. My feeling. Yes. I think that's really perceptive, actually. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, straight back to the genius room. Oh, gosh, so much. So, wow. I don't know where to start. <laughs> There's so many great comments there. Um, Mara. I hear I'm referred to is MNSQ, Romanian, probably, Romanian, probably most eminent historic national poet, poem. Hi, hi, oh, my God. Thank you, Stephen. Um, yes. Hyperion, thank you. Yes. Wow. Uh, Martin says, I like the nuanced psychological detail and description of setting, but prose feels a bit dense for the genre, but competent writing, says Johnny. I think it's more than competent, actually. Um, Lex says, I did really like a boxing fist and a velvet glove as a character description. I liked it too. PJ, all the metaphors are kind of interesting, but seem to be there instead of moving plot forwards. Yes. I think that connects. Uh, Martin says, people's descriptions are a little overdone. Chandler Jules, please spell title correctly if you're referring to Keats, Hyperion, E-R. Well, I don't know. Eva says, some sensitive phrases, but not pulled in by characters. And Hannah, a psychological thriller needs to open with a psychological thrill. That's fair enough. Uh, Sand spiders skittering up my spine. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Uh, lots more comments in the genius room, but we need to hear from uh, Mark. Um, I'm Matt. Sorry. Owl. <laughs> I'm the owl. Um, yeah, I think that the... Uh, I really wanted to like this because the, the writing is lyrical, it's but I lyrical. don't think it served the purpose of advancing the story um, like I wanted to. I thought the, the description of the clouds was just lovely and mm. didn't really work. And I was thinking maybe this is something that in chapter five or six, after we know what the thrust of the story is, uh, you know, we've introduced the story in a, in a similarly lyric sense, but advancing the plot, maybe that's something we, we pull back and see, because this was the attempt, you know, it's a cinematic attempt. Yeah, yes, um, it's the opening of Forrest Gump. It's, yeah. Here comes the, the camera yeah. swooping down ever closer, ever closer, ever closer. Totally. So, um, and I, that can work. It didn't quite work here for me. The blurb it wasn't a blurb, as people are saying. It it's just tells the story and the, the last couple lines, but I don't think it quite worked because of that. Um, and I thought the writing in the end, and this is, the, this is a problem for me. I didn't want this to happen, but I felt it was pushing me away. Mm. The, the writing was beautiful, but it wasn't drawing me in. Mm. Um, and it's the story that's going to draw me in. It's going to make me want to read on. And I'm not sure I would have gone on here, despite the the, the lovely writing. Um, lots of nice um, images in here, but they the the author isn't giving us any. I mean, I, I, there's a I love the undercurrent notion of of um, tension that, that Catherine was talking about, but I didn't feel it. And yeah. I kind of wanted to. And yeah. the only thing I had going for me in this saying was 
well, gee, it's it says it's a psychological thriller, so it's going to be thrilling. But yeah. I just think you, and it's, if you're going to pitch it a psychological thriller, you do kind of have to go into the That's psychological the thing. thrilling. That is the thing. Yeah. Laura says, uh, being more towards literary fiction, I didn't intend to write an opening scene that is a thriller. All right. So, ah, well, there we go then. Yeah, so that possibly means re recategorizing it, actually. Um, okay, so... It seems a little stuck on that. Uh, is it stuck? Nah, I'm going to have to get a refresh going on that. Um, I, I'm really, I mean, I've, I've given, I've given a very unusual mark here, um, which is 100% um, for craft, actually. I rarely do that. I think there's really nice voice going on. Um, it is literate, it clearly is literate, but I thought it was absorbing. Now, would I have dropped out? After the first chapter, first three chapters or so, I don't know. It depends on, on, on the plot and the story. Um, but I do, but I'm very, very keen on Mara's um, skill with words. And I think if you've got that, if you've got that, then the, the other stuff you can, you can, you know, you can get that together. You, you, can, you can funnel that into a commercial package. If you haven't got that, it's much more difficult. So... I know. I, I I think it's important to recognise the talent, and I've done that by giving it um, five stars, hundred percent on craft. Having said that, I've only given sort of average marks for the commercial bang because at the moment I can't see really how it's going to um, succeed in a very crowded market. But um, but you will. There's no question you will actually, as long as you you know you find the right um, uh, vehicle. Um, let's just see if the genius room has refreshed itself. It has done. That's great. Okay, well, I'm going to say, Mara, freeze frame it when you look at the recording of this. Read everyone's comments, even the ones that are, that are critical. Those are possibly the most interesting ones to read. And let's see what numbers you've got. You've got a 61. You've got a 61. That's very interesting. Got to say, Genius Room marked you generally a lot lower um, than either our panel or indeed me. So, you know, that's worth bearing in mind because... What you've got in the genius room is basically people of goodwill, like you, who are who are essentially writers and aspiring writers, want to be published or are published, and they're usually very supportive. So it's well worth reading uh, the comments that, that they've made there. Um, but um, I'm very pleased you, you submitted that, Myra, and I think you've got real talent. I think it's time to have another word with Catherine, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Catherine, um, what inspired you to get into this in, in the first place? You wrote your debut novel was uh, More of Me, which was the Edinburgh one. Why did you sit down and do that one day? Uh, well, I, I, I'd been an actor. That's all I ever really wanted to do. But then I married a farmer and had two children and acting work fitting around that was really difficult. Um, and I thought writing books would be really easy. Oh, did you? But it's not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I wrote, I wrote a picture book. And, uh, oh, I know. I know. It took me 15 years to get my first book published. Did it? Blimey. 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm very stubborn. I'm very stubborn. And I started out writing picture books. And I, to be honest, I wrote more of me after I'd given up trying to be published. I have a really brilliant agent. She's been with me for quite a bit of the journey. And she's believed in um, it. And I, 
Yeah, she really has, yeah. and and told me multiple times it'll happen, it'll happen, and she's fantastic. But I yeah. didn't believe it. She did, oh, wow. but um, I didn't. But it was that moment at which I I just thought this is never going to happen. I'm going to write this crazy weird book, um, which is a sci-fi strangeness, um, because I want to write it. And that yeah. was the book that came from my heart and and had everything in it that yeah. I wanted to say. And that was the book that was picked up. And it was picked so, up straight away. It, it, it went to, you know, a number of publishing houses wanted it. Fantastic. So when mm. you say you're working 15 years before you, you got published, mm. was that 15 years on the same manuscript? No. No. It was multiple. I've got so much on my stored behind the scenes mm. some of which will never see the light of day yeah um some things of which i never let go beauty sleep actually was a manuscript was the book that my agent took me on with that never sold wow. um and i it's all that remained of that story when i rewrote it was the huh. two central characters and the basic premise about cryostasis uh it needed it had no heart when I'd written oh, it before okay. and when I finally realized I want to write about this pressure of social media on kids I mm. want to write about homelessness I want to write about sibling relationships that's when the heart came into the story and it became something that lived I think Pamela that's Jay's, something that writers Pam, Pamela's Joe wants to ask you how many books did you write <laughs> before one was published <laughs> I'm not even kidding it's hundreds no hundreds no. I may not have finished them all and they won't all have been YA ideas I've, I've written in fact my the newest thing i'm working on is middle grade I've, i'm writing a bit younger now uh just because it's more fun yeah. and the pandemic was really depressing and i wanted to write something that wasn't yeah. hard and escapism i um, i, I realized in the pandemic uh, lockdown particularly i was just reading escapism just i just wanted something light so something to, to get yeah. me away from all this this grimness so um is there a lesson there for other writers because you know sometimes we actually quite commonly especially on pompons we, we we come across writers just hammering away the same manuscript for two years ten years you know longer and you, you just think i don't know this is the the best thing for you to do i think you have to really listen to what other people are saying unfortunately and it, i'm i think because of my background in theater it's quite collaborative mm -hmm. I do listen to, I love working with an editor. I've never got tired of that. I'm, I love getting feedback from people. I think it's so valuable. It's a gift and you really need to listen to it. Listen to yourself as well, because sometimes it'll be conf conflicting. But if, you're, if you've sent the same manuscript to dozens of agents and editors and you're getting the same feedback and you're not listening to that, Hmm. you probably are wasting your time if you want to write it yourself that's fine you know yeah. but if you want to write to be published yeah. you need to listen to what professional people are telling you yeah. and read as well read see what other people are are, are writing it's yeah. it's the it's the biggest thing and don't yeah. be afraid to let something go i mean i yeah. had to i've i've let something go and and found it very difficult um I, you know i was working with it with my editor at osborne but it just wasn't working and in the yeah. end i just you had to kill that it, darling. It's got maybe had to kill that darling and mm. start with something else. It's yeah. hard to do that, though, isn't it? So you are obviously, I mean, you know, with your actors training, here we are, there's a picture of you with a group of people hiding their faces. Why, why, why don't they want <laughs> to be seen with you? I, I, I don't know. Oh, it's to do with child protection. It's oh, child really? protection. Oh, well, they need yeah, protection. Yeah, so some schools are very... Not from me. Not from oh, me. Oh, I'm getting all wet today. So the... <laughs> I'm very safe. I have my DBS check. Thank you very much. There goes oh, my, my career down the pan. 
Lots of oh, children and parents don't like their children's faces being online. That's, oh, that's oh, I see. I mean. Of course, of course. So I was going to ask you. So, you know, you, you are obviously, a, I mean, you're a natural extrovert. You're out there. You're, you're doing your thing and in front of all kinds of potential uh, readers and so on. A lot of authors are not like that. They're a bit mm. on the other end of the spectrum, a bit on the introverted end mm. of the spectrum. What, what's your advice to them? Get a personality change or, or what? Oh, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because I really feel for them. I really do. I, I genuinely, because I am a big reader and very passionate about a lot of books. And I sometimes wish I could just go into schools and talk about other people's books. Yeah. I actually do. I do. I, I talk about other people's books a lot, but it is expected, if, particularly if you're a young adult writer, yeah. that yeah. you're going to, or, or a children's writer, that you're going to go and do these events. I yeah. think my best advice if you don't want to do it is be as prepared as you possibly can so use uh, a powerpoint but don't have loads of words on it just have pictures yeah. images that prompt you that they're kind of like stepping stones for you to get through a talk and remember that they are very excited to see you just because of who you yes. are you don't everybody's different and there will be yeah. quiet kids in that room that will yeah. be pleased to see a quiet person right. um doing yeah. what you're doing yeah. It's difficult. Did you did you get any any? I mean, you've obviously had um, uh, artistic training in terms of being a, uh, an actor, mm. but did you have any mm -hmm. specific training um, for an author speaking to I don't know the media or mm. speaking to potential readers? Yeah. Did you have any anything like I, that? I feel so lucky because I feel like um, my publisher really take that seriously. They sent oh. me on a media training day. Very good. Um, I thought it was going to be just to stop me swearing on TikTok, but no, yeah. no, it was much more useful than that. Um, yeah. Talk all around social media, but also advice about how to do school visits. And I gate crashed. I have a lot of friends in the industry and I just gate crash their talks. Yeah. They, I well, pretend to be their PA and go yeah. and see what they're doing. So, yeah. yeah. Very People cool. don't mind. You know, it's a friendly industry. Everybody wants yeah. to help everybody out. Yeah, it is actually, isn't it? We're not in competition with each other. Uh, too many people think we are. We're not actually. We're not. Um, that's that's. If we could talk all day, but we've got two more submissions to look at. Submission number three today comes from James. It's historical and it's called the Heretic's Protege. This is James's blurb. Sixteen twenty-four, Tuscany, torn apart by the dictates of family and religion, Salvatore is sent away. <coughs> excuse me, to sea, whilst his lover Leah is forced into an arranged marriage. He must fight pirates and cross continents to return to her, yet his greatest struggle still awaits him as the fires of the Inquisition burn straight towards their son, a student of Galileo. Hmm. About James, a veteran of the United States Army, James was an educator of the Los Angeles School District in various capacities for 30 years. He is an active member of professional writing organizations and has two e-books published by Small Press. He now lives on the big island of Hawaii, in the news, uh, with his wife Linda, his German shepherd, Princess Leia. That, I think that's the name of the German shepherd, not actually a German shepherd and Princess Leia, because that would make the headlines, really. And Maine Coon Cat, biggest in the world, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Chewbacca. Great. <laughs> That's a theme emerging. Uh, reading, writing, hosting dinner parties, swimming and scuba diving pass the time 
Wow, idyllic um, as the palm trees sway. Please visit the author page on Amazon under James Charles. Aloha. Thank you very much, James. And here's Martin. Uh, always love Martin's reading to give you the very best we can. The Heretic's Protégé by James, read by Martin. Chapter One. Salvatore, 1624. A shiver ran through his bones. Somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, 16-year-old Salvatore scanned the horizon from the poop deck at the stern of the Falcao, an ageing Carrack merchant ship. He had just finished replacing a running backstay as the four-deck crew worked on changing out and shortening the sails. The winds were light at the moment, but the captain and crew could feel it. A blow was coming. Reaching into his knee-high slops, Salvatore pulled out the pink cowrie shell Leah had given him. Gripping it, he sighed deeply and his heart pounded. He worried more about what her father had done to her than what his father had done to him. This shell was the only connection he had with her. He slid it carefully back into his pocket. Greenhorn? Pock-faced, dusky Deepako shoved Salvatore up against the taffrail and grabbed the lapels of Salvatore's long coat. Balling his hands, Deepako said, his sour, wine-laden breath causing Salvatore to wince. You forgot to wash my slops and shirts. I'll get to them. Salvatore squirmed to get away, but Deepako was in his twenties and stronger. The black eye Deepako had given him soon after departing Livorno hadn't healed, so Salvatore was reluctant to fight back, and he wanted to keep as many teeth as he could. Don't let me tell you again, Deepako released Salvatore with a shove. Farnese pulled up next to them. He removed his cap and scratched his head, the top bald, stringy strands hanging down both sides. Deepako reached up and ran his fingers through Salvatore's silky, shoulder-length brown hair. Il mio bambino, he winked at Farnese and said, Don't you wish you had hair like this, huh, Farnese? Farnese grinned, his brown teeth, rotted teeth, a few missing, peeked out through his lips. His heart racing, Salvatore swatted at Dipaco's hand. Dipaco studied him, cocking his head. Why won't you tell us who ya? What, where you come from? Salvatore ignored him, just wanting to mind his own business, serve out his sentence and go home. Dipaco stuck his finger into Salvatore's chest. You educated? Dipaco said, spittle shooting out and landing on Salvatore's velous haired cheek. Means you come from money. Despite the biting cold, a bead of sweat escaped from under Salvatore's cap and crawled down his face. Trying to catch his breath, he wiped away Dipaco's spittle and the sweat with the back of his hand. They heard a loud crack from above and looked up to see that a spreader had broken. Still attached to its rigging, a hunk swung down and swept across the deck, smashing into Chief Crew Bartoli, lifting, lifting him up and over the side of the ship. Salvatore peered over the rail and spotted Bartoli, thrashing in the swells, the ship easing by him. Salvatore frantically said, what can we do? Nothing, DiPaco said. He's a dead man. Salvatore shook his head. No. Faster than spit, he tore off his coat and cap, 
grabbed a coiled line, tied one end to a cleat, the other round his skinny waist and jumped overboard. Recovering quickly from the shock of the frigid water, Salvatore battled through the waves and swam towards Bartoli, who was floating near the stern. Salvatore grabbed Bartoli and the man waited. Turn into the wind, Captain Mellini hollered to the crew. The line jerked Salvatore backwards. He mustered all the strength his new muscles could provide and pulled Bartoli closer. Salvatore held on to Bartoli from behind, keeping Bartoli's head above water. Salvatore felt the weight of Bartoli as his body went limp. He didn't know whether Bartoli was alive or dead. Pull them in, Malini shouted. Water rushed over them and some snaked down Salvatore's throat. Coughing and spitting, he struggled to hold on to Bartoli and stay above the surface as they were pulled closer to the ship. Crewmen tossed a cargo net over the side and tied it off. Salvatore reached out and held on. Get him, Molini said to Amadi, the African who slept in the bunk below Salvatore's hammock. Amadi climbed down the net, grabbed Bartoli and draped him over his shoulder. He climbed back up. Thank you, Martin. I was just hoping you'd carry on, but all good things have to come to an end. Let's with the genie I are saying, and we have something. Aloha. Yes. Hey, James. Um, Johnny says, nice atmospheric opening shot. I'm on the ship. Hmm, that's good. Uh, Claire says, a lot of ship jargon in the opening. There's a lot of, a lot of jargon. I noticed that, actually. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, Hannah says, really feel like I'm on the ship. Nice intrigue set up for Tag, worrying about Leah's father had done to her more than what his father had done to him. Uh, Pamela Jones says, Martin giving his usual fantastic reading. Absolutely. Chandler Jules, love the nautical details. Okay, so yeah, that's that's a plus point for Chandler Jules. Eva says, crisp, cr clean, crisp writing. Uh, Claire says, his heart racing, etc. A few generic shows. Martin on race says, vivid. I engaged with protagonist's dilemma and setting rendered very well. That's always interesting to hear what the narrator thinks. Claire says, I like the interplay between the characters, but are they a bit caricature at times? Uh, Pamela Joe, pacing spot on for historical thriller, like the visuals um, and the characters. Minor says, minor thing, pronouns instead of overuse of names. Okay, Johnny, action and sense of place, well rounded. Eva says, maybe the use of Salvatore can be clipped. Yes, that's just what Martin said, actually. But the characters are believable. Pamela Joe, yeah, feeling Bartoli's, feel Bartoli's pronouns. Or could say drowning man, yeah, dr yeah, that's right. Fewer Bartolis, says PJ. Chandler Jules, great action, good pacing. I want to read on. Um, and Jan says, Oh my god, what happens? And Arbonnet says, I wonder if we should start with Salvatore saving the other sailor. I was wondering about that too. And Jan says, I'm not a pirate fan, but this truly pulled me in. Right, Catherine. I loved it. Oh, I loved good. it. I loved the blurb. It gave me shivers. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, I, I have one thing to say about the blurb, that, that there's a time jump in it that needs sorting out. Just a couple of words would sort it. Um, we've got the the lover being married off to someone else, and then they've got a grown son who is um, presum presumably uh, the heretic's protege, Galileo's like yeah. student. Yeah. Just, a, just, I mean, it's a tiny thing, but I... I, I love this kind of story i'm fascinated oh. by um the way galileo was treated i think it's got so much potential um i, enjoy, I enjoyed the writing i enjoyed the the the, the there was one line though that i would deal with in fact i'm not keen on the dialect stuff i think maybe that needs softening a little bit yeah um, but that don't you wish your hair 
just I was just immediately thinking, don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? And we don't uh, want that to be happening when no. we're reading. So maybe, no. maybe cut that line or change yes. that line. But Good. I really, I loved it. I, had, I was sucked in. I don't mind all that um, language about the boat that I don't recognize. I know it's boat language and I assume it's, it's something language, I'm going to yes. learn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but, I, I assume, you know. My researchers, who uh, I don't even know if I should mention this now, having been so humbled and embarrassed to begin with, but my researchers do tell me that you have actually, you do have a strong nautical connection, do you not? I come from a naval family, yeah, I do. And what have you scrubbed? I have scrubbed the decks of the Mary Rose, that is true, that is true story. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it used to be housed, I mean the Mary Rose. Can I just put in a plea yeah. for people, if you have not been to the Mary Rose Museum, go and start at the top and work your way down. It is the most breathtaking museum I've ever been into. It's like walking into a ghost ship. It's incredible. And on the way down, they might encounter you scrubbing a deck or two, possibly. Yeah, where is it? Yeah, the deck where is, is gone now. Oh. It's in Portsmouth. It's, it's in Portsmouth. And you can pop along and see the victory and the and the HMS Warrior. When, when the Mary so I'm taking things away, no, but I'll just on. tell you this very briefly so it makes some sense. When the Mary Rose was brought up from the bottom of the sea, it had to be injected with wax polymers for okay. many, many years. It was being sprayed with wax polymers and it had um, two uh, bridges that went over the top for scientists and visitors to be able to access the ship. And that's what I used to clean because oh. it used to get covered in the wax and be slippy. Fantastic. Very, very valuable. We've gone very to nautical to today, haven't we? Uh, catch up with the genius <laughs> room. Poop deck. Someone's talking about poop decks. I think there's a joke there, don't you? Uh, Hannah says, little, little, mm. uh, okay. Uh, so, great action, great pacing. Uh, ben, I wonder if we should start with Salvatore, save the other sailor. Um, and I think Hannah says, little point, since he saves a man in chapter one, that man needs some importance for the story. I would definitely read on, says Hannah. Um, Arbonnet says, something about using a poop deck right at the beginning, pull me out of the serious situation. Me too! Oh, it's not just me. I thought it was me and my underage uh, sense of humour. <laughs> no, I, I, I got slightly pulled out by that. Um, I really like this, though, says Arbonnet. Intriguingly, would definitely read on. Pamela Joe says, maybe Hannah, but I think it's important the main character is a hero. Yes, who dares what others don't. And Catherine says, lol, Catherine, you don't look old enough to have been a deckhand on the Mary Rose. She wasn't exactly saying that. Poop Deck is a recognised place on ships of that time, says Hannah. Yes, it's still a funny name, though. Arbonnet says, I like the use of the spittle and sweat, quite visceral, and pulled me in. And Claire says, whispers, I think I'd have liked a prologue um, of a scene in the Inquisition before flashing back to this. That's interesting. And Johnny says, I remember watching it being exhumed. That would be Mary Rose. Probably wrong word. Yes, or raised or whatever they did. Hmm, Matt. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I went a little bit lower, I went lower on the title than anything else just because I, I looked at my scores and I wasn't sure. I, I've never gone, gone straight 80s. Um, but I, I love the nautical phrasing because i know none of it i have no idea what he's talking about <laughs> he could but be completely I, <laughs> inventing it couldn't he really as far he as we could know. be making up words yes he just really could be but Poop i tech. love it because i feel like oh i'm I, i'm 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 inside now he's bringing me inside this 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 world and i love that i love it when someone does that um i will say this i was looking at the genius room um i looked at jan 
Jan's comment where she says, I'm not a pirate fan, but I didn't read that. I read, I'm not a pirate, but I like this. <laughs> but it just pulled me in. <laughs> I know. A pirate would be a very niche audience if you're writing for that. Um, <laughs> there was a, um, I, I, the sour wine breath was nice. I could smell it. Um, I loved. I did like the way very much how he dropped in the backstory. There's a couple moments where you just get it, when um, I'm serving the sentence and this sort of thing. You know, the, this this kind of drops and it tells you, okay, there's 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 depth here. There's hidden depth here, and I love the diving into the sea and grabbing the guy. I mean, this is this yeah. is swashbuckling. It's it's total literature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, is this is we've got our hero. We can see our hero, and our hero is you know in the thrashing waves, saving a man he doesn't know. Yes, um, yes, yeah, yeah. Arbonnet says the so technical well jargon, I, technical jargon shows the research of the writer, and thus his commitment to the prize. Jolly good. And we'll just make sure we've got Matt's votes and numbers have come in. Absolutely, they have. So I think it's about time for us to look at this. Wow, that's very good. Actually, I think that is wow. Um, monthly winners so far. Let's look at the numbers just to check. Yeah, it's a high-scoring show, actually. And um, James Charles is currently in the lead, but we do have one more submission, which we're going to do right now. Project Chimera. Science fiction. Oh, like that. I like some science fiction. I like science fiction because we can make money out of it. Ooh-hoo. And it's from Kids. And this is Kids's Blurb. Wildlife biologist Jesse Fox spent his life as the research assistant for his former professor, coasting through life. Presumably that's the professor, I suppose. His life overturns, that would be Jesse's, when the funding for their research gets cut and Jesse's out of work. Jesse must rely on a mysterious job offer to study strange creatures called chimera, which appear through rifts in space. Mysteries thrive around these strange creatures, and Jesse is tasked with solving them. All right. Well, I like the sound of it. Kiss is an author of thrilling science fiction and fantasy. A bold statement. Uh, They were born in Kent, England, where they've lived most of their life. They received BSc in animal behaviour. That's interesting. In 2020, and have continued researching and learning, currently, uh, currently doing an apprenticeship in insurance while working in pet insurance. I think that's big business, isn't it? Um, Kiss advocates strongly for diverse representation and aims to write stories that convey important life lessons through thrilling tales. It's a thrilling tale. We want a thrilling reading. Who should we ask for that? I think it's going to be Johnny. Project Chimera, written by Kiss. Read by John. Chapter One Stars shine like a thousand eyes staring down through the blue haze of night. It is calm and quiet out of the cities, with only the rustling of leaves in the gentle breeze and the meandering of foxes and owls as they hunt for their prey. A blue flame flickers with life above an otherwise ordinary field of budding crops, slowly growing before erupting as if two giant claws ripped open the sky to the starless darkness of space. This new rift, emanating with a blue glow, grows ever steadily as a shadowy creature climbs through, dropping onto the crops below. The creature rises hidden beneath a mass of vines, some thick and some thin, 
entangling the creature with small eyes peeking through. Just as quickly as the rift opens, it closes, sinking in on itself before flickering out of existence, leaving the creature towering over the small crops. Alone, its stubby legs, hidden beneath the mass of vines, carry it across the field. Its vines move as it does. Hedges line the outer rim of the crop, home to birds' nests and mouse burrow. From within the bulbous mass of vines comes a large red vine, wrapped and entangled by far smaller vines, creating an arm-like appendage. It slams through the bushes, snapping the branches and trunks with ease and throwing the debris across the country road on the other side. Raising its arm again, it pauses, light erupting around it, showing its truly bizarre appearance. Covering every inch are vines with only the faintest tail of the shape underneath. How big it truly is, is impossible to tell. Everything, including the arm of vines. It is both animal and plant. Helicopters descend on the creature. Their side doors slide open and soldiers aim their rifles at the creature. The first shot won't be made without orders. Sir, we've got sight of the chimera. Awaiting orders, Sergeant Ryan Orm says through the radio in his helmet. The response is immediate. Restrain the chimera and transport it back to space, Sergeant. Aye, sir. The soldiers fire at the creature, their bullets making little dent against the thick vines entangling it. With surprising speed it turns, launching its arms at the helicopter, stretching as if there is no length it cannot go. The small vines, like fingers, wrap around the tail cone, pulling the helicopter toward the ground. It's got us! I hate these fucking things! The bullets do nothing! The sergeant hangs on with all his strength, unclipping his rifle and straps on a grenade launcher. The helicopter continues to descend, the blades spinning ever faster now to try to resist the pull. He fires at once at the large glowing eyes, exploding. A deep grey gas envelops the creature. The vines recoil and it stumbles backward, falling into the hedges. The immobilising gas worked. We got it, sir, Sergeant Orm says as the helicopter recovers its balance. We'll be on our way once we've got it in a containment chamber. Another one captured. Harris smiles, having watched the entire event transpire through the soldiers' cameras. The camera allows Harris to remain in the safety of the headquarters, hidden from the world. Harris leans his head back against the wall, imagining the devastation this chimera could have caused if they had detected the rift and got there in time. What if the rift had opened in a major city like Beijing or New York? There are the level 8 distortions which Harris is waiting for. An emergency level event which could expose their secret to becoming a catalyst for even more dangerous events to spiral the world into another war. He suppresses the negative thoughts with a deep breath. It's done now. The chimera caught and he best let Dr. Regina Michaels know to be expecting a plant-based chimera for them to necessary preparations for its accommodations. But first, the director. Harris knocks twice before letting himself in. The director's office has been the same since he arrived here a year ago. A dark wooden desk sits on the other side with the floor-to-ceiling bookshelves running along the back and side walls filled to the brim with books. Thank you, Johnny. Knocks it out of the ballpark again. Um, if you're interested in our narrators, and why would you not be? It's voice.letypia.com. You can read all about them there. And you can also get them to um, to read your audiobook, actually. Or guess anything else. But, you know, audiobooks, obviously, what we do here. Uh, being authors and all that stuff. Um, let's see what the genie is saying. Hannah likes the blurb and likes the title. It's good. Hannah's got great taste. Pamela Joe says, Blurg's problematic. Pronouns are the very devil sometimes. I was tripping over them a bit, actually, wasn't I? 
rhythm twice. Blurb seems a bit convoluted, says Arbonnet. It was, but I, I still got something. It's a very simple blurb, but I got something out of it, actually. Did it make me want to read the book? Yeah. And that's basically what Blurb's got to do. Lex is very keen on the, the whole concept here from the Blurb. He says, so the title boils down to Space Cryptids. Let's bluffing go. He loves it. Uh, Blurb's okay, says Vagabond, if complicated, but dilemma and stakes. Um, yeah, Arbonnet says, like the title, though. I like the title as well, yeah. Blurb's generic, says Eva. Chandler Jewel's title doesn't pull me. Blurb, decent premise, needs tightening. Pamela Joe, very sort of generic and cliche description in the first two sentences. You have five words to set a story. Don't waste those first five. Like those beasts, says Johnny. Claire, I'm enjoying this, but some repetition of words. And Hannah says, intriguing opening, but the string of long sentences removes the impact that this opening could really have. Matt. Yeah, the, the genius room as always is is on target. Um, I I found the there's nothing wrong with the title, but I didn't grab me. Um, it didn't. It, it, I just found it, it. It was kind of a title. I, I, it sounds like something I've heard before. Probably haven't, but uh, it, it was there. The the blurb. I'm not sure how many times the word life was used, but it was at least three or four. I think that yeah. you don't have many words in a blurb and I, you don't want to use the same one repeatedly. Yeah. And yeah. that, that drew me out of it. But I, I thought the, the, the thrust of the blurb was good. It was a yeah. good description of the story. Um, as for the, um, the writing, I thought it was, it was very accomplished writing. It, 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 the pace could be picked up a little, but I love the fact that we're starting with, and a bit of action and that that worked for me um there was one bit we started at the beginning of the story the opening line of the story is the sky is full of stars and then we we're talking about a starless sky and that mm. i mean i guess in a context that can work but it threw me back and made me want to read at the beginning again which is never a, a positive thing um but the writing was qual i thought the writing was 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 well done and um, I think the potential of the story is is quite high. Hmm. Okay, so that's fair. There's enough. good bank to it. I mean, we've seen this story. We've seen this type of story do very well. So we have. Yes, it's not maybe not the most original, but you know that's all right. That's all right. A lot, that's awful fine. lot of books are not that original, really. Hannah says this feels like a prologue. I'd like to have been with the protagonist when she sees her first chimera. Oh, Dialogue kicks in just in time, says Martin, to pick up pace. Maybe not so for Claire, though. Claire says this is too drawn out. And uh, Claire says, wow, Johnny needed a breath there. And uh, I think several people have noticed that, actually. That is a bit of a challenge, that was, I think. Um, Vagabond says, I want to hang on to the edge of my seat with this, but I'm not. The language is too distancing. Um, it says, some breath challenging sentences. Well done, Johnny. Um, Pamela Joe is Harris the main character, the one we're supposed to identify with? And mine says, good writing, but feel vegetation could be trimmed. Uh, the standard of subs has been superb today, says Martin. It totally has. What did you think, Catherine? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was just reading Pamela Joe's comment there about um, the opening that that what she said about you've got five words at the beginning and mm. those first two sentences were very generic i actually loved that image of the stars like eyes staring down i felt like that was yeah. really menacing yeah. i agree with matt about the style of sky that jolted me in fact what, what you I, I wrote down an alternative sentence um 
ripped a vent in the starlit canopy to the darkness beyond because that's Beautiful. what we're meant to be seeing. It's almost like I'm a writer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> that's a class action. All that stuff about, <laughs> yeah, all, all that stuff about um, vines. It's just too confusing. There's too much. I was completely lost. I was trying to go back and this is a creature that we cannot immediately picture and we need to. You can't spend two paragraphs describing viney arms and still us have no real sense of it. So that it needs work. But this is right up my street. I read the blurb and I was like, I'm in. This is this is for me. I love it. Agree with Matt about the title. I think it feels like it's been done before because it probably has somewhere yeah. and actually yeah. it feels a little bit you know one of those paperbacks you throw away and yeah. i think this is probably worth more than that um but as a working title you know it says does what it says just it could do better on the title yeah. um i think it's got potential i think it's got potential i, I really like the concept and i i want to see where this goes so Fantastic. i was enjoying the reading yeah good right well let's look at the numbers you got a 65 kids um Nothing to be ashamed of. A very good, very good score, actually. But I think, I think I know. Let's look. Yeah, it totally is, isn't it? Actually, look. Uh, very good scores to everybody uh, today. I'm particularly pleased to have seen Mara's submission, actually. Very, very impressive writing, Mara. I think you've got a great future. Um, but, yeah, today it looks like it's probably... No, it looks like it's definitely... <laughs> Two acute accents in the title. Class, eh? Totally. Congratulations, James. Worked hard for that, and you deserve you deserve it. Well done. Very, very pleased. Let's just see if our guests are still with us. Yes, they are. Oh, good. <laughs> they haven't gone then. Oh, thank <laughs> heavens. Yes. Well, Catherine, I mean, wow. Bapt baptism of fire. You've come straight. Oh, I mean... In your old profession acting, they used to say never act with kids or animals, and to which probably they might add Peter Cox as well. But <laughs> you've come through, you've come through. I mean, you know, you've covered yourself with glory. Total class act from, from start to finish. Um, well, what you. can I say? Thank you for coming on. I don't suppose you come back, will you? I'd love to come back. It's been a complete pleasure. Oh. Yes, I even enjoyed you being a total loose cannon. It yes. was fab fabulous. That's a polite yeah, I'd love to it. come back. I, it feels such a privilege to, to share these people's work, and I really look forward to seeing you know, where they go and yeah. what they do and what becomes of these projects. Yeah, it is. And it's always a pleasure to have Matt on. You know that. So oh, thanks. I mean, you know, a lot of good writing today, I thought. There was, was a lot of good writing on the show. Yeah. There was, yes, absolutely. And I'd like to... Oh, we've got a comment. We've got a comment. Wow! Mahalo, says James. Yes, because he speaks in one. <laughs> um, been a great show. Thank you for being with us today live. If you have been or watching a recording, thank you, Genius Room. Thank you, everybody behind the scenes for all the hard work you put in. And it's been so good. Shall we? Shall we? Shall we do it again next week? I think we ought to.